This is the Maverick Minister Deranged Story of Jesus podcast series. Hello, I'm Mike Davis. And I'm Grace Smith. And we want to welcome you to the fifth episode of the Deranged Story of Jesus podcasts. As we begin this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing another one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. That's great. Who's joining us today? Her name is Mary. Wow, there sure are a lot of Marys in this story. Is she a new Mary, or have we had the pleasure of meeting her before? She's a new Mary. She is generally known as Mary Magdalene, but that isn't really her name. I'll bet you're going to tell us that she is somebody like Abraham and Peter, whose name got changed by God because she was supposed to do something special. Well, actually, you would lose that bet because God didn't change her name at all. In fact, nobody changed her name. Oh, this is beginning to sound complicated. And whenever you start explaining something that's complicated... I know, I know. I tend to get long-winded with my explanations. Just remember, you said it. I didn't. Okay. So, why don't I just introduce Mary and we can let her fill us in about her name and about her relationship with Jesus? That sounds like an excellent idea. Welcome, Mary. It's a wonderful treat to have you with us today. I know that many of our listeners have read a good deal about you and your life and your experiences with Jesus, but we would love it if you could tell us about yourself and also share some of your firsthand personal experiences with Jesus. Grace and Mike, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show today. I am always happy to talk about Jesus, especially my time with him and who he was and is for all of us. But I don't usually like to talk so much about myself. However, there is so much misinformation that exists about me in your time and culture. I really welcome the opportunity to set the record straight. So let me just start there. You see, I was born and grew up in the town of Magdala, which is why I am known most often as Mary Magdalene, just like Jesus was known as the Nazarene. Magdalene simply lets everyone know that I am the Mary from Magdala. Now, Magdala was a pretty significant and well-populated town on the coast of the Sea of Galilee, about three miles from Capernaum. Unlike most of the towns and villages along the coast, fishing was not our major industry. My father owned a very successful textile business, and I grew up in a terrifically loving and extremely well-to-do family. How the idea that I was a prostitute, an adulterer, a fallen woman, or a sexually sinful one came about is completely beyond me. I know that at least one of your popes, I think his name was Gregory, 
fabricated a wild story that said I was a prostitute named Mary of Bethany. Well, there was no prostitute named Mary of Bethany. In fact, Jesus and I knew Mary of Bethany very well, and neither she nor her sister Martha were anything but wonderfully upstanding women. Once more, Jesus raised their brother Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, which is about a hundred miles away from where I grew up in Magdala. So how I ever became associated with this non-existent harlot is truly a mystery to me. I will never understand why men who always get to be the ones to write history have to diminish women by making up sexually salacious stories about us. We're actually very interesting just the way we are. Okay, so let me climb down from my soapbox and get on with how I met Jesus. As I said, I was born and grew up in Magdala. I had a delightful childhood. But when I was about 16 years old, I began to suffer from a very severe form of what you would now call mental illness. I would seem fine one day, and then suddenly I would begin to hear voices talking to me and telling me things that I knew weren't true or real. My hands or legs would begin to shake violently, and sometimes, I would fall on the ground in what my parents called a fit. I would see things that weren't there, and sometimes I couldn't move my arms or legs like someone or something was holding me down. These things would happen, and then it seemed like they had gone away, and everything was fine for a while. Then it would all start up again. My father contacted doctors in our town and even as far away as Jerusalem, but nothing helped. After this had gone on for a few years, I resigned myself to the fact that I was doomed to live this way for the rest of my life. I gave up on life and stopped caring about almost everything. I looked frightful with wild, unkept hair and sunken eyes. I all but stopped eating and spent almost every day just waiting for the next attack on my mind and body. Then one day, a man named Jesus came to our town. My father had heard that he could perform miraculous healings, and he went and begged Jesus to help me. So Jesus came to our home where I was cringing, wild-eyed, and fearful in a corner. I will always remember the gentle, loving compassion in his eyes when he first looked at me. It was as if he was gently and lovingly examining my very soul. Then suddenly his gaze became fierce, and in a great authoritative voice he yelled, Come out of her now! I went completely rigid, and then my whole 
body began to shake so violently that I thought I would die. The next thing I remember was lying there on the floor exhausted but feeling calm, feeling relaxed and more like, uh, more like myself. I had this sense for the first time in years, I was Mary again. I was healed and whole. Jesus walked over to me. He took my hand and helped me to stand up. He didn't say another word, but his gentle and loving eyes told me everything. He hadn't just healed my body and my mind. He had given me a purpose. He had given me a whole new life. And from that moment on, I was devoted to him alone. I was in love with him and I would do anything and follow him anywhere because my life belonged to him. Oh, Mary, what an incredible experience. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. I can only imagine how intense your relationship with Jesus must have been. In fact, I have to admit, I'm personally kind of overwhelmed right now just envisioning what happened to you. And I'm sure that our listeners as well as me want to hear more about what it was like for you to be with him after you were healed. Are you willing to share some more of your experiences? Mike, as I said before, I am always happy to talk about Jesus and who he was and is for me and for all of us. But... Before I go on, let me clarify what I meant when I said I was in love with him. Another misconception about me in your time in culture is that Jesus and I had some kind of romantic relationship. We did not. My love for him was intense and all-consuming, but it went so far beyond romance and physical attraction that they were never even a consideration in our relationship. The kind of love I experienced from him was totally beyond words. It was intimate and life-giving. It made my life worthwhile and gave me not just purpose and meaning, but a sense of, a sense of, I guess, uh, the only words that fit are peace, serenity, harmony. But they don't even really come close to how it felt to know that I was loved by him. And the best part is that he loved Peter the disciples, and everybody that would open their hearts and minds to him in exactly the same way he loved me. The greatest lesson I ever learned from him is that love is never a thing that can be possessed, owned, or hoarded. Love possesses us and gives us the opportunity to be joined to each other by sharing it. Mary, 
Your wisdom is as overwhelming and moving as your experiences. Please, go on and tell us more about what you would particularly like for us to know about your time and about Jesus. Well, I guess one of the most important things I'd like for you to know is how much Jesus valued women in our time. You see, unlike women in your culture, we had no rights and we were the property of either our fathers or our husbands. We couldn't hold a job. We couldn't own property. We weren't educated except in how to maintain a good home. And we were required to stay in our homes unless it was absolutely necessary for us to go out. If for some reason we did go out, we had to be veiled and we weren't allowed to even talk with men. Even in the temple, we could only go into the women's court and we weren't allowed to take part in public prayer at all. But Jesus changed things for women. He broke through the prejudicial customs that held us hostage and he was willing to call and accept us in the same way he did men. In fact, several women like me became disciples and followed him, along with the men as he went from place to place, healing and teaching about love and the true meaning of life. Two women who became good friends of mine, Joanna and Susanna, who were also healed of evil spirits, were among the women who went with us. Strangely enough, even though most of the male disciples didn't take us very seriously, they did treat us like we were fellow workers in helping Jesus spread his message. They treated us like we mattered, almost like we were equals in the work we were doing together. And the women who followed Jesus weren't the only ones he valued and whose lives he touched and changed for the better. His loving care, healing touch, and life-changing words were offered without distinction to women of high society, women of ill repute, and everyone in between. My first eyewitness experience of this happened as we were entering the village of Nain, which is about 30 miles south of my home in Capernaum. It was my first journey with Jesus and the disciples after he had healed me. We had walked for a couple days and he had healed and spoken to people all along the way. We were just entering the village and there was a funeral procession coming out of the village gate. It was very sad. An old widow was walking all alone behind the body of her only son, followed by a large crowd of people who were wailing and crying. My heart was breaking for the poor old woman, not just because she had lost her son, but because I knew what her life was going to be like now that he was gone. As a widow without a husband or a son, she would have no home or way to make a living. That was because after her husband died, her son was her only means of support. 
unless someone in that grieving crowd behind her was gracious enough to take her in, and that was doubtful since no one was walking with her, she would likely have to beg on the street or starve to death. It was clear that Jesus had summed up the situation about the young woman just like I had because I saw the tears beginning to well up in his eyes as he walked toward her. He stopped the procession, walked up to her, put his hand on her shoulder and said, don't cry. Then he went to the platform where the body was being carried and said to the dead man in a loud commanding voice, young man, get up. Immediately the man sat up. He looked confused and started asking where he was and why he was being carried. Jesus didn't say anything to him. He just helped him down from the platform and took him back to where his mother was standing. Then he took his mother's hand and put it into his. We went on into town and people everywhere were talking about what a wonderful thing Jesus had done, how he must be a great prophet and how God had come into their town to help people. I know that Jesus would have and did do the same thing for men, but the fact that he saw the need of that old widow and responded to it was every bit as much a miracle to me as him raising that young man from the dead. As we went from place to place on our way to Jerusalem, Jesus did other incredible and loving things for both women and men. Even though it was socially unacceptable, he spoke directly to women. He touched them and healed them, and he took a lot of criticism for that from the self-righteous men along the way. I would like to tell you one more story about how he saved and changed the life of a woman. We were in Jerusalem, just outside of the temple courts. He had been teaching there and a big crowd had gathered around him to listen. Just as he was about to speak, some men who called themselves teachers of the law and some of the most rigid politicians of the Pharisee party pushed through the crowd, dragging a woman who they said was caught in the act of adultery. She was terrified and they shoved her out in front of Jesus and the whole crowd and surrounded her to make sure she couldn't run away. Then they recounted in explicit detail what she had been doing when she was arrested. Then one of them said in a sneering voice, the law of Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say about that, teacher? Well, Jesus just sat down on the ground and started to write something in the sand. 
I think he was trying to ignore them, but they kept taunting him and saying, Oh, tell us, great teacher, what should we do? What would you do? I really wanted him to look and ask them, Where is the man? But that was just me being spiteful. Well, they were taunting him. Some of them were passing out stones to people in the crowd. It was clear what was going to happen. Then suddenly, Jesus stood up. And with this fierce and frightening look in his eyes, he said to them, Go ahead and stone her, but the first one to throw a stone must be innocent of any wrongdoing throughout his whole life and must never have broken even one of the laws of Torah. Then he sat back down and started writing in the sand again. At this, everyone in the crowd started to drop their stones, and even the oldest men began to walk away, followed by everyone else. We left, too, but I stopped at the end of a building so that I could still hear and see what was going to happen next. Finally, only the woman and Jesus were left, and she looked like she wanted to run away. But she was still terrified, and she didn't know what to do. Jesus stood up again and looked at her. But this time, his eyes were loving and compassionate. He held her gaze for a moment, and then he asked her, Where are they? Is there anyone here to condemn you? She looked around and said in a small and frightened voice, No one, sir. Jesus smiled at her and said, I don't condemn you either. But let me give you some advice. The way you are living now will destroy you, and you don't deserve to be destroyed. You are too valuable to God and to this world. So now go and live the way God means for you to live. She just stood there and looked at him with a puzzled look on her face, and then she turned and walked slowly away. I so wonder about whatever happened to her and whether or not she was able to change her life. I pray that she did. I could tell you more and more stories like this, but I think this may be enough for today. Mary, it has been wonderful having you here with us today. Thank you so very much for all that you've shared with us and for allowing us into your heart. For all of our listeners, Thank you for being a part of this episode in the Deranged Story of Jesus podcast series. We have many more episodes to go and many more people for you to meet as we continue the story of Jesus. Grace, is there anything you'd like to add? No, I think you've covered it all pretty well. So let's just say shalom and we look forward to being with you again soon. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.